0: A show about business, crime, parapolitics, and esoterica with your host, Jimmy Fallon Gong.
1: All right. So Special Forces tryout happens. Whatever happens, happens. But like McVeigh goes back to Fort Riley and right away, his cohorts are like, uh, again, once again, his personality has changed. Like, And they're not reading each other's statements, by the way. These are statements that are given... Um, independently of each other like they're not all sitting in a room mm-hmm. commiserating on this the, so some of them you know they live in different states they're not in constant contact by the point by by the time they're being interviewed about him but they're all getting very similar um things but as soon as he gets back like he ends up moving off base with uh, with a couple buddies and uh they're they're saying like we were watching him crumble and he was paranoid and he definitely believed that he had some enemies like he he was just paranoid um, but 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 beyond that like he was keeping guns everywhere he, and this is the point where he starts to network with people in the surrounding area he has friends like that are off base that he starts spending more time with. Some of these people are, like, involved in militias and, and patriot movement stuff. Um, nevertheless, like, even though his behavior is becoming more erratic and he's, like, like um, losing his shit, like, sometimes... Like one guy says, like, yeah, we went out shooting one day and McVeigh, or we were, no, he says, we were driving. We were like driving somewhere. McVeigh pulls the car over, gets out, and just starts shooting like randomly at everything. He gets like out in a field. Like he just is acting real erratically, very erratically. Hmm. He, uh, let's see, this is also when he starts getting like really political. He starts constantly (laughs) talking about, the jfk assassination the cia black ops
2: damn he just liked me for real
1: <laughs> oh jeez, <laughs> yeah
2: just kidding
1: <laughs> um yeah when i like i am always be thinking about mcfail but that's just like jimmy fallon gone <laughs>
2: um
1: <laughs> not really see so, yeah uh, but th- but like so before that you know, he might be into stuff about the Second Amendment. Um but he wasn't obsessed with covert the history of covert operations. like, and this is the point where it's like he is he starts really immersing himself into into like the literature and the culture of the right the right wing. Um this is also when he starts making contact with white supremacist groups. And at this point, he like, has what appears to be endless copies of the turner diary like he is everyone he knows at this point is like yeah you gave me a copy of the turner diary like he must have crates of these things
2: yeah no we were joking off mike about how his fixation with the turner diaries borders on like was this like his catcher in the rye like did he like compulsively buy them like he sure seemed to like constantly be giving them out
1: I mean, all the soldiers are like, yeah, he gave me a copy of the Turner Diaries. He's sending copies of the Turner Diaries to people. Like, yeah, he must have ordered... Uh, he has so many copies of this, this, this book. Um, and, it, yeah, and it's kind of like we talked about Star Trek, like it, it, it kind of takes on the same thing with him whereas like it's just everything is the Turner Diaries and he he has to keep talking about the Turner Diaries and give copies out.
2: Uh, for the listeners, do you want to explain what the Turner Diaries is? I imagine some might know, but maybe not everyone.
1: Oh sure. Well, it's a it's a horribly written book. Uh, it's written by um by William Pierce that that started a group called the National Alliance, which was a white supremacist organization, and it was a highly like organized national white supremacist organization um and so like they're gonna di- differ when we talk about Aryan nations they're they're different because they're like avowed atheists and very irrational but what do you call it the head of this the founder he writes a book and called the Turner Diaries so he writes a couple books but the Turner Diaries is is about this guy in this futuristic um, world where Liberals have <laughs> taken over, and um, women have a lot of, and they've put women in power, and minorities, they've given minorities jobs, and, and it's like this future dystopian scenario. And I say dystopia, like if you're white supremacist, is a dystopian scenario, um, mm-hmm. and 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 like the world, the country is now run by Zog the jews and the this lone hero must rise up and fight back against the system and the way he does that is like bomb a government installation but that's like it's it, it's a race war and you know he's a mm-hmm. he's a hero of this race war in the future and so mcveigh will <laughs> give conflicting i um statements about his relationship to that book um, mostly especially for public consumption like in his biography he'll say like i didn't care about the racial stuff i just like the idea of someone fighting the government like someone you know trying to take control That
2: it's like bro why wouldn't you just watch star wars then
1: <laughs> right yeah or yeah or, or yeah anything like y- you don't But on the other hand you know, he's at the same time like sending in applications to to the KK, to various branches of the KKK. He, he says, well, it's because they gave you a free t shirt if you did that. But like, that doesn't stop. He does that in all the years to come.
2: It has very Lee Harvey Oswald joining every front group he can energy.
1: Absolutely. So this is just the start of it because, first of all, he will go on it uh, like um once he gets out of the army after he goes home works you know for about a year or whatever stays home for a year then he goes off and on what i call his bombing odyssey um and he will make contacts. yeah with every major group <laughs> who all also happen to be like pat con targets but every like group and and will go way out of his way to make contact with the leaders and the national alliance the the organization that puts out the Turner Diaries he calls them countless times like throughout the years like keeps calling them and calling like various chapters and making contact yeah oh here I just like just just found my notes here on turner diaries yeah he tries to like to, to backtrack on on that like try try to excuse excuse his relationship to the turner diaries saying like oh it's about gun control legislation or like i i don't recommend reading the book however it's just a hor- it's horribly written it's not even well written but you know there's other books about these topics as you said like there's other ways this could have been handled he loves the turner diaries and he's always got a copy he's always got several copies on him from now until the end and i will say like one of his uh, things about i was recruited into the special forces or not special forces but this like covert op is that he was supposed to immerse himself in the literature of the of of the of the right and not just the right but the racialist right but look That can be true, and he can still be racist. Like, both can be true at once.
2: Yeah. No, because we were talking about that, because, like, he does appear to be genuinely racist. Yeah. But on the flip side, it's like, well, if he was given a black ops mission to immerse himself in the neo-Nazi U.S. Army military crossover community and or, you know, infiltrate or whatever... How would we know? You know, I don't know.
1: <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you it starts to like the more I don't know the more you get into this, it's like the least uh, conclusive. Everything everything becomes like it. There's no easy answers here, and like I, I I'm not going to pretend there is. I'm really hesitant mm. to to make final determinations with this. First of all, because sometimes I've thought like, okay, this is what I think. And then I turn around and I get something else. I'm like, okay, well, now, you know, it's just a mess. So he he decides, this is late 91 now. And like everyone is like, oh man, this guy is acting real weird. But he decides he's not going to reenlist and he decides to leave. Now, he um, gives a few different reasons about leaving he tells one soldier that he's going home to attend college. He tells another guy he planned to go home and become a law enforcement officer. He tells another guy that he, he sees McVeigh right before he leaves the art, like leaves the base and goes home and McVeigh tells him he was going to disappear for a while and he wouldn't even be able to tell his parents where he was going or what he was doing. And that indeed is exactly what he did. Um, And and at the time, the guy's like, I thought it was weird when he said this to me. He said, Tim was just being really strange, like stranger than usual. And we couldn't figure out, like me and the other guys couldn't (laughs) figure out what he had gotten himself into that he wouldn't even be able to tell his parents about. Um, And okay, the another the day he got out of the army, he spent the last night at my house. I don't think he was bitter as much as he didn't know what he was going to do. He told me he was lost. Now. Before we stop this whole, like, like conclude with the army, I'm going to say this. Mm -hmm. He goes, he gets back from the Gulf. Now we're going back, gets back from the Gulf and his dentist and doctor visits continue. And so um, this is all happening at the same time that people are like, my and real, real weird those days, like as that's happening, as they're noticing this, he's He's making those like repetitive trips to the to the army doctor, to the army dentist. I'm gonna lead here a list of symptoms. Teeth are decaying um, and he goes back uh, for seven different teeth. By one point they're like, he is in the records. This is what the doctors write. He has pieces of bone sticking out in his mouth. They're infected. He's got moles, like all of a sudden he starts getting moles on his face that hadn't been there before and so he, those are being removed he's nauseous he's unable to hold fluids he keeps vomiting the moles at one point like <laughs> i think i have a picture of me giving a presentation like this is when i used to do that kind of thing but i had like lined up pictures of McVeigh's face uh, like comparing like the moles the, and their shifting positions <laughs> because i was trying to figure out what's going on um like, but uh so in September 91, when he moves in, uh, well, he had moved in with two friends. Then he moved in with a different friend because the first friends are like, he, he can't live with us? But uh, so from September 91, when he moves in with his friend named Witcher, until he leaves the army in late December. So this is just a few months. He has nine medical visits, two injections, six doctors, one dentist. um, He receives another typhoid vaccination. And there's a document that's almost unreadable, but I can see it It says emergency treatment center Fort Riley. He gets a medical injection of an unknown variety for an unknown reason. Um, Another time he has a pain in his right shoulder, but the the radiologist gives him an X-ray and he says, there's nothing wrong with you. Um, at that same time, as this is happening, they send him to Fort Irwin's National Training Center located in the Mojave Desert, um, mm. San Bernardino County, California. And so he goes there for some reason. And then he go- he's back at Fort Riley. And two days later, he sees a doctor at Fort Riley for an ulcer and a cold. <laughs> At one point he writes in October, he writes his best friend, Steve, a letter. He says, we're on guard at a nuclear site in Utah to to guard against terrorist attacks. He says, great. Another opportunity for my balls to fall off. My stress level is 3000. I have a pounding headache. But he doesn't mention to his friend like, hey, I just went to the doctor 800 times. (laughs) And 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 by the way, like yeah, with the amount of X-rays, like maybe his balls are going to fall off. I I don't know. A week after that, he goes to the doctor for his toe. He seeks medical attention, saying his skin is deteriorating. He tells the doctor he has skin scales that grow back, and then holes appear. Um, a few days after that, he's going back for moles. Um, by this point. He's been to the doctor probably more times than he had been in his entire life. He goes to the dentist because his gums are bleeding. Uh, gets another x-ray. And, and I'm just going to say that after leaving, he continues to see dentists and doctors. Um, at, at another story, he tells the supply sergeant at Fort Riley. And this is like right before he leaves. And this is, the f- okay, this is the first time that that this comes up. He tells this guy, "I think they put a tracking chip in me." Um he tells this guy the the military has done things to him. He says, "I think they brainwashed me or injected me with something." And he and then that's the point where um he puts in his papers to to the army. So there's that. Now, in the future, that his attorneys ask him about his health and he just basically says, well, I had an ingrown toenail once. Um, (laughs) So,
3: so yeah.
2: Yeah. It's just like baffling and it's like, okay, well we know he's lying about his health because like he says almost nothing to his lawyers. Mm -mm. and then various people remember him being sick his records show him being sick or going to the doctor a whole bunch so like at a minimum you shouldn't really believe american terrorist on the face of it (laughs) just based on him clearly lying about his own health
1: yeah while he's in prison um he'll like he'll say (laughs) this is so weird he'll he'll say he'll be asked have you ever had any dental issues and he'll be like no and then it'll be like two days you know it's like two days before he had a dental issue it's just <laughs> weird to the point weird to the point where I think that maybe he didn't even know himself like
2: yeah <laughs> I don't know yeah almost as if he were dissociating or something
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. and there and there you go because he knows what he has to know when he has to know it about himself. I mean, I'm not saying, like, look, I don't want to be like, and when Peter insists that this is the situation, I'm saying, yeah. you know, I, I wonder. Or, it ha- like, there's one interpretation, okay? Um, Although, obviously, like, I lean certain ways. I do believe something really weird happened there to him. I never, you know, I don't claim that I know what it is.
2: Yeah, like we were talking off mic earlier about how like whenever he's asked about his teeth, doesn't he say like I had one cavity once or oh, something? Oh
1: yeah. Yeah.
2: And he'll just like say that to like a ton of people. To me it almost feels like and again, I'm the podcaster, right? So like <laughs> it's the podcaster's domain to speculate, but um it reminds me of the Manchurian candidate where people would ask about the main character and they'd be like he's the bravest mm-hmm. you know m- most brave soldier i've ever met and they would all say the exact same thing like yeah,
1: verbatim yeah and by the way like when you look at the descriptions that the other soldiers give about big bay it, it very in fact i think i said that at one point like it comes off as of that like it is he's the smartest mm-hmm. most bravest you know just verbatim <laughs> It's almost funny. Um, now, he was a good soldier. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, yeah. Um, with the teeth, like, uh, in prison, he he at some point develops a, a really big actual fear of any kind of a physician, not strength, but a doctor or a dentist. Like, he starts to become, like, he he has a fear that he's developed of, <laughs> and no wonder. And and by the way, again, those are records. Like those are are on military records. I don't know if 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 those are actual like, medical appointments or if that's a cover. Mm-hmm. You know, like backstop. I don't know.
2: So weird shit happening. Then he's basically on his way out of the army and he joins the national guard right
1: yeah he, well yeah he goes on, and uh and so that he does two things he joins the national guard which that's that's one thing he does and then he also oh, okay and by the way he joins the national guard but he ends up telling different stories about what his job duties there. And then at some point he says he can't even remember, which is really weird because he could remember like things about the military. Like he just had a knack for, you know, certain things. And like, he would fucking remember, I'm sorry to swear, but he would remember what <laughs> his job was no matter what it was. But, but what he tells those first attorneys, like while he, his other, he's telling other people, like he was inducted into, something during the special forces trial. He also tells the first attorneys the like something happened in the National Guard. Like really this is where um and and both you know both he could he could it could be both where like he's inducted into something but he only it only gets underway once he gets home in the National Guard. And when you've got soldiers that just can't even quite remember him or who he was like and he can't remember. Mm-hmm. I've never been in the National Guard. It just seems like you wouldn't really forget, like, especially if you're only, you know, it's not like it went on for years and time blurred. It's like it was a very short period of time. He was even in there enough that he would know at least what he was assigned to do. But the other thing is that he he gets a job as a security guard. Um, This is at Burns security and at first they have him as a night watchman um <laughs> and he has various assignments at first very briefly like he has to guard the buffalo zoo except for like at one point he's guarding the buffalo zoo and he keeps getting prank phone calls and he gets really upset and he he calls he he like i don't know does call return and he's tells this mom that picks up the phone, like if, if you guys if your kid doesn't stop calling, I'm gonna burn your house down. Like he, <laughs> he's like uh he no longer can keep his cool for very long. Like he's like assigned to events like the World Wrestling Federation and Monster Truck Rallies, and his uh supervisor says he became too intense. Um there was an event where like a 15 year old girl tried to get into an event and he just like flipped out on her like he, she says yeah. she uses the word snapped she says timmy snapped it was like day and night like he he at that point she had to assign him to things that didn't involve dealing with the public because he was flipping out
2: <laughs> yeah No, that's so interesting. Should I do my shorter bit about security guards? So Timothy McVeigh doing security guard work. Granted, he did some before he went into the army, but you pointed out in your book that doing security guard work is significant for a variety of reasons. Uh, Security guard work has always had connections to mercenaries, foreign and domestic intelligence work as well. And, of course, you see a fictional depiction of it in a movie like The Parallax View, like we talked about, but you see it pop up in a bunch of real cases, such as Thane Eugene Caesar, who was RFK's security guard and probably murderer, or, you know, very possibly the Brabant killers, or, more recently, Esteban Santiago Ruiz, who was A Wavy, who worked for a security guard company called Signal 88, who, you know, this Santiago Ruiz guy, he shot up the Fort Lauderdale airport in 2017. Or Omar Mateen, who shot up the Pulse nightclub in 2016. Mateen worked for G4S, which was historically Wackenhut. And interestingly enough, just a side note, Mateen supposedly was given the Minnesota Multiphysic Inventory Test, but then there's all kinds of weirdness about whether he actually took it or not. Or, you know, there's all kinds of super weird stuff with all of these cases, basically. So the point, I think, is that there is a pattern of unstable individuals working for security companies who may or may not. I don't know programmed to kill perhaps <laughs> luckily nothing like that was happening with McVeigh right
1: oh no no no. I mean if it was I'm sure Jeffrey Hewitt would have written about it I know <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry I can't hold myself.
3: no I, uh, it's great
1: <laughs> yeah and, and, and his supervisor at the at, at Burns is like yeah he's working out and uh at that point he's asked about it and and what McVeigh says he again of course gives different stories he's and and by the way she this is like what another person she's like he looked really thin like he looked physically unwell um you know he was chronically he just looked bad, like he was deteriorating in some way or another. Um, and she 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 didn't understand like she didn't have all of the records and stuff, she just observed it mm-hmm. as did other people at this time. So there's this incident around this time, right at, around the time when he the, the supervisor's like, okay, we can't put him with people, like he can ha- he has to guard empty buildings or whatever. But he shows up at his grandfather's house and he's like he has no shoes he has no socks this is the middle of winter Mm. and he's like in despair and and he says like i was having a nervous he even he thought he was having a nervous breakdown and he decided he considered killing himself and he says i fell into a deep sleep after that and then like he says his grandpa never asked him, because out of respect, his grandpa just respected him and said, yeah, come in, you need a rest, rest, and, and great rests. But he, like, shows up at his grandfather's, like, without clothes on, like, basically just in sweatpants in the middle of winter. You know, I don't even know how to say this. Like, imagine... Things have gotten so bad that you go in out in the middle of winter in western New York with no socks or shoes and you're crying and you show up and you're just like, please help me, like please just let me rest at your house. Mm-hmm. So in on one hand, and he'll say this to his in bits and pieces over time, he'll tell this one story, and it's that like as he got home, he did receive his uh mission his classified mission and it it, it messed him up. Like whatever he was supposed to do was so psychologically unnerving to him that like, and not not only that, but like, he's like at home one day and a guy shows up and and explains what he's supposed to do. And he, and the more he thought about it, the more anxious and, and upset he got. And he decided he wasn't gonna do this he is in himself he decides well i'm just gonna let them think i am but uh, i'm not gonna do what they want me to do and that's why in this one story he tells he did believe he was being tracked by the military right up until the end um is because he kind of shirked his mission now there's another variation here and that's that uh he, he again he's supposed to like in the time that he's home he's supposed to familiarize himself with the names of his targets which are going to be um patcon targets are going to be um, big names and organizations and then also some uh more underground names and organizations in the white supremacist movement and uh and that he did the mission but it still upset him like he didn't want to. So that's another way that he explains showing up to his grandfather's house. So uh, he's working for Burns and they decide like, you know what, let's just put him on a desk job. And uh, so that desk job is a place called Calspan. So he'll do a desk job, like he'll do scheduling, but he'll also be assigned to guard this Facility called (laughs) Kelspan.
4: I'm just a ghost of my former self, forming a non more bionical toxin, or mental health. Was never born into wealth. I jumped out of my mother with two horns sticking out of myself. God is in the details, but they my mess is now from what planet. He hails, it pales in comparison. I mix with the fucking beat like rookies in Harrison. Yeah, the rookie be handled in his business, rotten your fucking brain like a box that you're staring in. The unescapable, unexplainable, and unbreakable, unmistakable. Send a patriarch, stuffed up in my nasal, breathing in and leaving and Let it soak in these.
2: the deal with calspan
1: <laughs> what is the deal with CalSpan. um what doesn't CalSpan get into
2: <laughs> it's it i know i know it's hard to start because like i know the answer to that is just like so many freaking things just
1: like everything there's you no know, i can't Yeah. this is why i don't talk to people um <laughs> so like CalSpan. i i um he he had a coworker at Calspan that I that I had taught to, <laughs> and this is a kind of funny situation for me to be in. But um I'm like, so so, hey, what does Calspan do? And this guy like <laughs> starts getting real cagey with me. He's like, well, I can't, I can't talk about it. Like, he's like, they build crash, they make crash test dummies, and they. He's like, and then he says. I don't want to get in trouble with the government. Like, so that's, like, that's as far as he would go tell, telling me what CalSpan, He had no problem talking about McVeigh. He did not want to talk to me about CalSpan, But, uh, so my discussion of CalSpan kind of uh, spans through the book. But um, to begin with, they were a flight, Well, they started in 1934 in Buffalo, Curtis Wright Aircraft Corporation, and they established the flight research laboratory across from the Buffalo airport. And at that point, they build this wind tunnel and it's revolutionary at the time. This is the first one. And it studies high velocity. It's supposed to help study high velocity flights. Um, at, At this point, they are the largest airplane manufacturer and second largest corporation in the United States during now we're in world war during world war two. So I'm going to skip some stuff because like, otherwise no one's going to have incentive to read the book, but. Uh,
2: the CalSpan stuff is so much fun. Yeah. like <laughs> You won't even believe some of the stuff that <laughs> we're probably not even going to mention, but.
1: And, and I'm going to say like, yeah, Kelspan was one of, like, my pet things, or, like, I was just so, as you'll see in the book, but, like, so completely intrigued by Kelspan. However, I was also at the University of Buffalo, and Kelspan was just, like, really close, and I can remember, <laughs> I can remember being in the computer lab, like, all night, like, because I'm typing up stuff and working and, like, looking into Kelspan, and bam, like, that's when I, re- like, that's when I learned, like, the at a certain point, they formed a relationship, of course, with the University of Buffalo. And I was like, ah oh, like just I just remember being so like flipped <laughs> out at that, like just it was so eerie. And it's like nighttime in an empty computer lab. And like I I would be, I would drive by Killspan, I would have to drive and like I would, oh it 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 they are interesting. Um but I just personally, like subjectively, I was just unnerved and weirded out when I had to go by that place.
2: For the for the listeners, I think it's around this time when you have in your book the amazing overview of UFOlogy, specifically. Oh, yeah. Uh, to talk about both McVeigh's interest in the X-Files, but also to talk about certain aspects of Kelspan.
1: Yeah, um, you know, and um all your listeners I'm sure know what Project Paperclip is, right? Mm-hmm. I mean you I assume they, they would know what paperclip is, but it's basically when after World War II United States uh graph like scoops up like leading scientists and uh, some of those scientists, some are mine scientists, but some are like study aerospace. Um and they kind of graphed that on to the United States aerospace industry. Basically, CalSpan was one of the leading developers of, of, of experimental aircraft. And this the starts of the end of World War II. CalSpan with multi-million dollar contracts from the Department of Defense and all branches of the military. Uh, made significant and this is public record significant contributions Mm -hmm. to like remotely controlled aircraft capable of unusual and risky flight maneuvers human pilots could not perform and also training and interface systems to pilot them um which by the way could account for like all of the ufo sightings over lake ontario (laughs) so um but a lot of people like i like because buffalo and where i'm at we're just close to buffalo but not buffalo but like the two cities have a lot of you know it's their sister cities. so a a lot of buffalonians don't understand uh, the role that buffalo played in aerospace development but it plays a big one Mm
2: -hmm. yeah it's not what comes to mind, I think, when most people think about aerospace in general?
1: No, it's it, you know, and in that way, they did a pretty good job keeping it like, you know, quiet. But um, in the early 90s, so I'm jumping way ahead now. But if we're just talking about aerospace industry. Um, they were developing a lot of um, aircraft that was first used in the Gulf War um oh boy this goes on like um in 2004 it's, so like they're involved with pioneering aerospace developments um and this goes um, up until like even they're developing drones some of the first drones and that that's early on in 2004 they they began testing something <laughs> called the Auto- autonomous aerial refueling system. um, And they were testing that over Lake Ontario. Um, And this has increased the range and endurance of aircraft carrier-based drones. Um, And they developed drones that performed invaluable surveillance and combat functions. Oh, there was this thing built lighter than air high altitude airships, the HAA, that are like giant zeppelins.
2: Mm-hmm. Those are only just now starting to be talked about a little bit more. They,
1: this was two thousand five when the first instance I found in a, a journal called Sea Technology. Yeah, that's what they were. They were developed. They were working on that one. Um, it would only take eleven. HaaS to watch every square meter of the entire country, like that's how, like sophisticated their I don't know surveillance equipment is. Um, and in 2004, what is this is still considered to be in its infancy, even though they had determined that these things were like prone to randomly fall out of the sky and they're clumsy. Um, they, they still The stratospheric sky monstrosities I call them had the ability to peer into distant galleries in the not so distant future that's what was being projected publicly about these vehicles or whatever you want to call them crafts and yeah they regularly did like test flights over civilian spaces so that's that's the aerospace part of it
2: (laughs) other than Experimental craft and aerospace developments. What else did CalSpan get up to?
1: So, I want to say that in, in 1948, when Jolly West begins his residency at Cornell Medical Center, this is the same time um, that Cornell Aeronautical Laboratories is developed. That is the entity that becomes CalSpan. Hmm. And their clients were, for the most part, um, government agencies, the same agencies that were, at the time, funding like MKUltra, you know, the, the same agencies that are interested in utilizing and developing MKUltra-type research. Um, and While CALSPAN is best known for crash test dummies, they had a <laughs> bunch of other projects, most of which are still classified.
2: Do you think the crash test dummies from like the 90s are a psyop?
1: <laughs> well, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. What if they were, though? <laughs>
2: <laughs> but it is interesting, right? Because, like, when we think MKUltra, I think a lot of people think Harvard, they think Stanford, uh, you know, they might think mostly the coasts, right? But I don't think people often think of like, you know Cornell as much, or CalSpan specifically, right? Oh
1: yeah, well they yeah they wouldn't think of CalSpan, um and, and and less or so Cornell, and yet like Cornell has several MK doctors of you note, know, like Lawrence Hinkle and Harold Wolf of Jolly West, and and out of Cornell comes comes CalSpan, which I neglected to I guess mention when I first started talking about the aerospace stuff. But yeah, it starts at Calspan. So they also, one of their specialties was developing non-lethal like electronic weapons, microwave technologies, biotechnologies, um <laughs> including electronic telemetric devices, meaning implantable microchips.
2: <laughs> Hells yeah.
1: Yeah. So like and also they were like pioneers of cybernetics, like the interface between man and machine. Um, yeah, I don't know. I kind of cracked myself up uh, in the book for for a little bit saying like when Dr. Peter Vankman and Ray Stantz said, don't cross the streams in Ghostbusters, they weren't talking about <laughs> Hellspan yeah, the aerospace, medicine, and psychotronics, and cybernetics, and surveillance technologies that they should have been, because that's like they all they all coalesce here at Calspan.
2: Yeah, I mean, we you mentioned paperclip earlier, but like, if you know, aerospace is kind of the more visible part of the iceberg of paperclip. Oh yeah, and then. The subterranean part, perhaps, is like Nazi psychiatry and so forth. Yeah. And some of the more medical stuff. Like, both. <laughs> right there, Kelsman.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Th- that place. Um, like, um, well, they were involved in the Manhattan Project. They, they during World War Two, they, dis- <laughs> according to them, discovered the ability to talk over or speech modulate so like they they were developing ways to transmit um verbal communications or into people's heads which let's just say they were just trying it out and they didn't actually do it but like even that's gonna cause some problems <laughs> probably um and in 1958 they transmitted microwave signals um it, they increased the range of radar, basically, and led to the creation of Doppler, which anyone that watches weather reports has heard of. They created something called REDCap, which is an electromagnetic warfare simulation system. It is was considered the preeminent electromagnetic threat detection in war game systems
2: so mcveigh went to go be a security guard at the real life war games yeah type of thing I remember (laughs) like
1: we were talking about war games like the movie yeah here he is um they uh so some kind of like funny stuff even though like this kind of none of this is really funny but it is funny in 1958 they were working on an electronic robot brain um on behalf of the Office of Naval Research. Um, and they made the first, what they called at the time, electronic robot named Perceptron.
2: When I got to the Perceptron part of the book, I felt like throwing the book across the room, but not out of anger. But just because I was just like, this is just too much.
1: <laughs> Perceptron. If I ever had a goldfish or something, like it seems like you need to name something Perceptron uh so like perceptron and remember this is 1958 they said would match someday they were they were working on it they said someday it'll be able to match the functions of the human brain and be able to perceive recognize and identify its surroundings without human training or control it would assist in piloting tasks it would translate language (laughs) and it would have the it would have the ability of automatic earthing of scientific and other information buried in library books. So, <laughs> so in it's like 1960 when NASA coins the term cyborg, um, which the blending of man and computer. Um, but Calspan at the same time is begin <laughs> beginning to work on cyborgs, and so like they're making. Something they call a man amplifier, which is like a wearable exoskeleton that links man and machine. (laughs)
2: Yeah. Wendy, I I just did that episode on the Texas Chainsaw Massacre.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. I haven't got to hear it yet, but yeah.
2: (laughs) And one of the characters inexplicably has a sort of like robot exoskeleton leg. And it's not explained, and it really has no reason to be oh. in the movie. But it's just like, what the heck?
1: <laughs> um, I, I posted a, like a picture of the man amplifier. Uh, you might want to look at it. Like, yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I and I. By the way, I'm excited to listen to that. in, in a lot of episodes, I. Um, sometimes I'm gonna say like, as I've been <laughs> preparing to go on the show, a like, guy I've listening to a lot of them but like I often I have to do that at night because I don't have time in the day but like I've fallen asleep now to several episodes I don't know if that's good (laughs) or bad um for me it's like a lot of that's so funny (laughs) um yeah
2: no for sure like it's funny because people have told me oh yeah I was listening to your show while I was (laughs) at the pool or you know I was out doing something and I was like oh lord yeah like
1: yeah someone on twitter was like yeah i'm reading your book on vacation by the by the pool and i'm like oh no that's not relaxing like i would you do that <laughs> not, not that i'm not flattered it's just I, it's yeah. not a beach book to me um i mean it's not a relaxing thing yeah you're so I, I was in the adirondacks like uh, with some friends in this would be in, in late August when we just like said like okay we're gonna do this and I was listening to a bunch of them there and I don't think like you know I don't know they, my friends know enough like ah oh, just let her do what she wants to do but like I'm sure <laughs> they must have gotten an earful from you. <laughs> so just to move it forward in 1967, if this is any indication of kind of what Kelspan is up to, they developed the first thing automated like fingerprint reader for the FBI. It was called Finder at the time. So in 1969, at the height of the Vietnam War, uh they're funded by ARPA, which is a like, precursor of DARPA and the DOD, and they were making aerial radar surveillance and counterinsurgency research projects off property. <laughs> this was what- That I know of this was like in Thailand and um they they caused by then like some controversy because because of those endeavors um so at that so CalSpan 19th now we're in 1976 they start to sell their fingerprint um technology uh, which they've now named, but they're selling it to South African mining companies um, to help them keep track of earth.
2: Extremely ethical.
1: Yeah. Hold on one sec. So yeah, they were also involved in aerospace medicine and biology research. Um, <laughs> testing, um, among other things, hypnotic conditioning to reduce fatigue, the effects of hypothermic stress uh uses of high and low <laughs> frequency um also x-rays microwave radiation on humans brainwave monitoring and implantable tele- telemetry systems for use in animal mi- monitoring and now these are not you're not going to find that in news i at one point like just went into nasa's um public like you can f- Find, like find the old reports and stuff, and I went through all of them looking for calspan and, and so that's where that comes from. Those are coming from like NASA reports
2: interesting. So you can't publicly see that nah, that Calspan was working on well, I mean, you, you know, like that you didn't get that from like a public source that like telemetric research
1: that's for right. that's from and that like was really. Like you know, yeah, have, yeah, have I have sit through so much like uh NASA stuff and for this, but but right, it's mm-hmm. not in their brochure that they give out for like tour CalSpan Day or not that they have that, but yeah, it's not in their promotional literature. And, so in nineteen seventy-three, on behalf of the National Institute of Health, Calspan's researching implant device development. Um And so this goes on and like my book really, it just like really, it gives what I thought was the best of and it goes on for pages and pages. But uh, at one point they're looking at uh, um, ways to develop to drugs that would be remotely dispensable um, electrical stimulations that would help cure paralysis um, and centralized computers that would be able to keep track of elderly people, which is that sounds nice, <laughs> but uh but their major breakthrough yet yeah, was in mapping the human genome and they were they promised they were going to revol- revolutionize biomechanics research. So now we're in the 80s and they were a up- they, ha- they formed a pioneering collaboration with public and private interests that included the University of Buffalo. And they wrote this report, and this is like CALSPAN in conjunction with these people, these other entities were writing a report and it was talking about researchers inducing sleep deprivation, heightened states of confusion, frustration, anxiety, anger, and depression in pilots because you know, for their performance. Uh, related research looked at drugs um, for sedative amnesic and hypnotic effects as well as their potential to enhance performance so that that's kind of that end of it now you get the final like calspam okay so calspam um they went beyond just fingerprinting technology they end up, like, developing massive DNA data data banks, databases. So they were also developing technologies for what they called smart highways. But this is in the early 90s, or actually late 80s. Um, and they were testing this in Buffalo. And, like, this would be what we have now is, like, you don't go through a toll booth, but, like, you just drive around and then they send you a bill, um, mm-hmm. but they were developing that way like in the late 80s um and even in 1995 they claimed to have installed like sensors tracking sensors in over 3000 local vehicles
2: mm, like basically what we're talking about is calspan on the bleeding edge of multiple very interesting fields right
1: yeah yes and uh and, and, this, and it continues and it almost continues it, into like absurd it's just it becomes weirder and weirder and kind of scarier and scarier um there's a 2007 article of the buffalo news and it, and it says that the entire world enjoyed the legacies of CalSpan's research the offspring of which included cell phones google earth global positioning systems and other luxuries related to military and commercial telecommunications. But, like, that's just the nice face, right, of it. Mm-hmm. They were mapping brains. They were into brain mapping. And that was, like, pretty late on in the game. Like, they were working on that, I believe, as I was writing this book.
2: Mm, yeah. Well, okay. So it's kind of around this time that McVeigh gets into, like, the X Files. He gets, interested in ufology. Yeah. And it it isn't, or <clears throat> maybe it's just not clear to me to what extent him being at CalSpan was or you know which was driving which. Was he interested in UFOs because he was at CalSpan or vice versa, you know?
1: That's a good question because the first I he may have been as a boy just like as a you know interesting thing but like the first i hear about it is when I talked to talk to the guy he worked with that was like you know mcvay was into some weird stuff but i didn't mind it we would have long discussions on, about ufos um yeah and i don't know which came first the chicken or the egg at some point he r- discovers that also out of Calspan because if it wasn't if they weren't doing enough um <laughs> he, he finds that there's a program re- being run out of Health Bent called North Star and um, that was just like we'll get into it a little bit more but on its face it was like a drug interdiction program a multi-agency drug interdiction program <laughs> and he becomes like he he talks about this thing a lot like so, I don't know why he's if he's involved in it. I don't know why he keeps talking about it, but he would like um keep sending his coworker letters like any more information you have on this program I want at least that's what the coworker says but uh,
2: it's like he was doing news clippings and kind of like giving the news clippings to friends and then like wagging his eyebrows suggestively,
1: yeah, and even at sometimes he even explicitly says like. I need you to read this because I'm trying to tell you something and I can't tell you particularly though with his, with his sister. But yeah, a lot of news clippings. But he so he he huh, stumbles or not so stumbles on this program called North Star. But uh so this is where like his Cal Span, like his security guard work and his um involvement with the National Guard like for narrative purposes, like this is where mm-hmm. where, where the two kind of come together.
0: Why don't you feel for the lead? Why don't you struggle for the lead? Why don't you die for the deep? Riding with that nine on me, cause all my niggas die on me. Better rather spine on me you live by that gun, nigga, you die by that going, nigga, better know that riding with that nine on me, cause all my niggas dying on me better rally spying on me, you live by that gun nigga, you die by that going, nigga better know that, can't let nobody tell me who I can't be right ever since I came up everybody won't be right Fuck, uncle Sam, I'm gon' be all I can be now. Thinking you can fuck with me. Must be stupid asleep now. You got all that power, time to practice what you preach now. Living life aligned, I got everything in reach now. Fuck her till this morning, then I gotta tell her peace out. Cause I'm on the mission, gotta liberate the street now. World getting colder, everybody packin' heat now. If you ain't my tribe, my nigga, you cannot be right. I've been on the mission to get it, and now I got it. My niggas raw for capital one. What, what's in your wallet? Them pirates be on watch and they waiting on your deposit, ain't nobody stopping me nigga, I got that knowledge feeling like I'm here with be rest in peace Marcus Garvin. if ever I offended you nigga, I am not solving bitch, riding with that nine on me, cause all my niggas dying on me better rally fine on me you live by that gun nigga, you die by that gun nigga, Better know this. riding with that nine on me cause all my niggas dying on me, better at fine on me by that going nigga, you die by that gun, nigga. But I know that. pistols, no matter the situation. Pull that Draco from out the cup and get the quaking. Police killing us for no reason, they do it daily. Better get your land and some pistols and get the praying. Martial law upon us, my nigga. You think I'm playing? Fuck Donald Trump, he the modern day Ronald Reagan. words to the wise, take heed to what I'm saying. Kim trails over the hood, I see him spraying. Money is their god, I see the look on their faces. Racist fucking devils, they power come from the waste Fooled you for speeding, now it's pistol in your face Better start packing my nigga and play it safe Poison in the food, but we eating it anyway Look at all the council, people dying every day Wanna shut me up, but I got too much to say Better let me in the game, somebody made a mistake This was fake riding with that nine on me Cause all my niggas dying on me Better rally rally's fine on me you live by that gone, nigga. You die by that gone, nigga. Better know that. Riding with that nine on me. Cause all my niggas dying on me. Better realize, fine on me. You live by that gone, nigga. You die by that gone, nigga. Better know that. I don't believe I'm gonna die from spitting on a piece of ice. I don't believe I'm gonna die because I got a bad heart. I don't believe I'm gonna die because of lung cancer. I believe I'm going to Able to die, what I was i going to, be able to die
1: high off the people. You had something to say about the National Guard uh, and their involvement in domestic that really that set it up better. Oh boy. Well,
2: it's all good. I mean, I could just sort of say it. Okay, so Timothy McVeigh was in the U.S. military. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the U.S. military has a prohibition from being involved in domestic law enforcement, where, you know, there is normal law enforcement, like domestic, right? So unless it's like a natural disaster or something, like, the US military is not supposed to be involved. And it's interesting, because I actually recently did a thing, I think it will be unreleased as of when this comes out. But uh, (laughs) apparently, that goes back to the Civil War. And I did a sort of thing about Uh, this interesting sedition trial during the civil war, but either way. So the national guard doesn't have that prohibition, does it?
1: Oh no, no.
2: And as it turns out, the national guard is actually very active in law enforcement.
1: It is. And that was like, that was actually a, you know, that was news to me as well. Like, as I was looking at like, well, what does, because, because there were claims he made about national guard like i looked i was looking i'm like oh wow i didn't know this i'm just gonna jump ahead though to the 80s Mm -hmm. um like the book the book lays out the history of national guard and domestic military and policing operations but like in the 80s under reagan and bush it
2: goes rambo steroids mode
1: right there are like incremental changes that allowed the military increasingly to assist in civilian policing and also to provide equipment personnel facilities and the sharing of intelligence with local state and federal law enforcement so and and there's a couple of books that, that do like touch that do touch on this and uh, the it, at this point the police, this is exactly the point when when the police become more militarized is like when they get this influx of of military equipment and um training.
2: it's it's so interesting like the north star section of the book was where i was just like you know f- like freaking out because like like i can't even let me organize my thoughts basically like well for instance like Thomas Pynchon's novel Vineland basically goes into all of this, but through his complicated mm-hmm. narrative, you know, his novel basically. But like, this is like, this is like the inner, okay. That, that's what I was getting at. Like we, a lot of people talk about the militarization of the police, but even that is just not a clear way of understanding that the U S military under the national guard is literally involved in law enforcement. It's not just that local cops are getting more militarized, which they are, but like the freaking national guard is like involved in massive, widespread like law enforcement and counterintelligence work. It's crazy. Like you get snippets of it through looking at like the Vietnam war when the U S army would like, send infiltrators into every virtually every anti-war group right over 30 people ever right but like it never stopped it never stopped it's crazy
1: yeah 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 and yeah and it was crazy to me to to learn this and i was already pretty you know cynical and and stuff but like um so north star is a spin-off of something in 1989 it's authorized by dick cheney at the time secretary of defense and it's a department of defense led operation it was based in texas and it was and it and it coordinated federal state and local agencies um to give rapid responses to illegal drugs and firearms contraband coming over the mexican border and what's Operation Alliance was like one of, it wasn't an, an unprecedented, they say unprecedented, but that's, you know, there's precedent for it. But uh, police, military security forces using advanced operations of urbanized terrain, mount. So that's basically uh, uh, urban warfare. And that's the very same thing that McVeigh sent to Germany to train. That That's like the reason the cohort unit goes over to Germany is to train in this urban warfare. Mm -hmm. And so Alliance is using that. So like in 89, there's an Alliance spinoff called North star. And that doesn't, that focuses on the U S Canadian border and North star utilized equipment personnel and intelligence and, and coordinated with several federal agencies, including the Department of Defense, the FBI, the DOA, the DEA, Border Patrol, Customs, the Coast Guard, and the National Guard, New York National Guard in this case, <laughs> um, and again it began. It began like under the auspices of the drug war on drugs. Um, so the primary group responsible for conducting both Alliance and North Star is the is Joint Task Force Six, JTF Six. They are trained at uh, U.S. Army Special Operations Command at Fort Bragg. And then they are subsequently <laughs> deployed into the domestic field, meaning in the United States. Um, in 1992, there were f- over 4,000 soldiers invo- involved in, in JAT, uh, in Joint Task Force 6, um, including 50 members of the Special Forces. And the majority of those troops were called from the national guard units um so the national guard is like way involved in in the projects i'm i'm going to go into the operations um so among the duties of the the jtf6 were to provide intelligence analysis, armed reconnaissance, weapons, communication, and training to civilian law enforcement agencies, um, and to participate in real world tactical exercises. So one of their jobs was to gather intelligence domestically pertaining to individuals, businesses, organized crime groups um, known or suspected to be engaging in criminal activity. And um, this information would be stored in Department of Defense collection centers um, and distributed to other military units. So like, I don't know why why is this being (laughs) distributed to the military if it's domestic, Uh, but anyways. And so beyond their supporting, uh, so JTF-6 used active and reserve duty military, and then they lent those people to civilian agencies for direct operations for long and short-term assignments. And they were (laughs) to conduct surveillance and counterintelligence um, activities in like nationwide sting ops. Um, They were allowed they could they were legally allowed and are to perform arrests if needed no no warrants they didn't need warrants to search properties including homes and automobiles so like now we're getting into the clinton administration and he ratchets this up and of course every like everyone knows like he helped the increase of the military of police mm-hmm.
3: um
1: but like the the justifications and the laws and the uh scope of the missions just it keeps getting bigger and bigger so now that leads us to PATCON. so while this is happening the national guard his other employer at the time is involved in a in a uh, multi-agency program headed by the FBI, called PATCON. And PATCON, P-A-T-C-O-N, is short for Patriot Conspiracy. Um, And this, the existence of PATCON, wasn't even known until 2007. But uh, it began, well, the forerunner began in the mid to late 1980s, um, when local, federal, and state law enforcement agencies uh, began investigating radical right-wing and white power movement groups, individuals and organizations Um, and one of the largest at that time was the Aryan Nations and the Aryan Nations like members and leadership were directly involved in a number of criminal plots and so eventually undercover ATF and FBI agents um, utilized paid and unpaid informants to penetrate deeply penetrate all chapters of the Aryan nations um if you like i'm sure your viewers will recall po intel pro and like while a lot of it Mm -hmm. targeted the left we also had like that white hate um section
2: yeah and like the nature the nature of that relationship was also very questionable Oh, yeah. Because at times it could sure appear like they were, I don't know, subsidizing <laughs> these groups.
1: <laughs> well, yeah. Like, if you're actually starting a group and they like, recruiting members and, like, indoctrinating people, then you gotta be like, well, w- well wait a minute, who's, you know, who's doing yeah, this? If the
2: if the leader is getting a stipend for snitching and then they never end up doing anything except maybe... Occasionally convincing the dumbest member to, like, I don't know, get an arm, you know, like a weapons charge or something. Like, right. You know, the nature of it, like that relationship can be very called into question when, I don't know, the Greensboro massacre happens or something. Right. So,
1: absolutely. And then you're looking at the funding and, like, look, if the, Mm -hmm. if the, which I guess it's not, but if the point was to, like, stop such. Radical groups from um, forming, like what what's happening here, um, and how much money mm-hmm. are you spending? Like, like uh, you know, what is the objective here? And, and yeah, the relationship itself definitely calls into question the the, the spreading of these kinds of ideologies and and groups, um, and and not just the spreading, but the very formation of some of them. Mm-hmm. Like so, 1990. We're in 1990. uh, Undercover federal informants and agents within, like, placed within Aryan Nations and other white hate groups, were warning about the ongoing development of violent conspiracies. And not only with the white power movement, but now at this point, what what was like the, the the emerging patriot movement and some of what they were looking into and this is gonna so some of the new information i have this is gonna hinge on us so one of the things they were looking into was the theft uh, and black market sale of automatic weapons law rockets night vision goggles grenades and other equipment from national guard armories and military bases (laughs) Um, and i'm gonna just add stinger missiles to that because i'm gonna tell you we ever get to oh yeah oh I can't yeah so yeah stinger missiles but like um at one point PATCON like it keeps being reauthorized or reauthorized and, and extended and also as that's happening its mission is expanding and and, and it comes to include absolutely the the uh, quote unquote investigation of stinger missiles but uh so in March 1991, the FBI assistant director, Larry Potts, authorizes PATCON. So we've been leading up to this because there were projects, and this this is in my book, in, in my second book, but like projects leading up to this. That, But like they basically, PATCON is a new one. Like this is when PATCON gets its name. Um, multi, national Multi-Agency Domestic Anti-Terrorism Initiative meant to ostensibly disrupt these plots. And and this is a law enforcement operation, so it's also meant to bring criminal charges. I'm just going to (laughs) say that Pagan never brought one criminal charge for all the money spent, (laughs) all the people deployed, all of the intelligence gathered, all of the counterintelligence deployed, not one criminal charge.
2: I don't know, Wendy. I mean timothy mcveigh and terry nichols
1: yeah i mean it's simple
2: i'm I'm joking of course yeah
1: yeah no like
2: <laughs> when i hear multi-agency task force i reach for my pen and paper to take notes because whatever is about to come next is going to be very interesting
1: <laughs> yeah yeah that that term also now peaks my ears um <laughs> so at one point like in january 1982 PATCON documents are talking about they're going to investigate, they they are investigating this group group called the Texas Reserve Militia. And like apparently the Texas Reserve Militia had plans to ambush a National Guard convoy during a training exercise. Um, And and also the Texas Reserve Militia is apparently stealing items from military bases uh, throughout the country or not just the Texas reserve militia but like that's another thing they're looking at is the theft of military equipment um so I'm just (laughs) one sec here
2: as you're looking that up I might remind my listeners that a one Leonard Lake and Charles Ng more so eng, was involved in the theft of u.s military weapons from bases oh was he mm-hmm. got convicted for it and everything
1: so i had actually never i didn't know about that case it was through your podcast like i don't know how i guess because like you can't keep track of everything weird i mean you can but like mm-hmm. i i, I no. can't
2: <laughs> like <laughs> not really but yeah so
1: that's yeah at this point the because like what i think because of PatCon too, like the theft of of um, equipment for military bases and how these get circulated, uh, yeah, yeah, that that becomes very interesting to me. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so I just gave you a, a general description of PatCon, and that's going to come back up. But like, McVeigh's having a lot of problems. He's going to the uh, he's during this time while he's in the national guard and at calspan he's going to the va hospital a lot he's he's sick like as far as physically like his friends and family are all like a lot of them were like he was deteriorating oh uh, we would tell him you need to go to the doctor he actually was going to the doctor a lot he claims to one person that that drives him to the va a few times that um that he he was being treated for he said he was being treated for schizophrenia he said that sometimes he blacks out for large periods of time like he was having some issues and and this interview has been going on forever and i haven't even gotten to the new stuff so like i'm just gonna say (laughs) read the book because yeah but at some point he gets he gets um allowed he he's told he can leave the national guard which is weird like you don't just say like oh hey i'm done okay like but cal (laughs) span or burn like burns the place he's working for arranges for him to like not have to show up to the national guard anymore and uh shortly after that he announces that he's going to leave buffalo
2: yeah what do you call this the the bombing odyssey
1: yeah, right. He he embarks on his bombing odyssey. Oh, well, one thing, like as, <laughs> yep, I knew I was forgetting something. As he's uh he's still in Buffalo, but uh this is when Ruby Ridge happens and that's like August 21, mm. 1992. Well, I mean, it happens over a period of time, but um so a joint ATF FBI action using JTF six and utilizing military mm-hmm. equipment personnel, it turns deadly, and it like, and it it. it okay, so this happens, and I go into um, what happened in Ruby Ridge and like how how these agencies are are involved.
2: And correct me if I'm wrong, because I know it's a different incident, but wasn't JTF six also at Waco?
1: yes it was um it absolutely mm. was and uh and and after ruby ridge patcon's budget skyrockets
3: mm-hmm.
1: um, and the scope of its mission expands greatly and at this point its assets and operatives receive specific instructions like to beef up their operations um and now to include militia groups that, that were forming all around the country. And this evolves into some really weird plots.
2: Well, it's so interesting because like if we want to talk about a playbook, right, where you maybe cause some terrorism and then you get the circumstances to get a much larger budget to then do whatever you want to do like that had happened in West Germany. Listeners can listen to my episodes on the Bader meinhof group where they had some documented ties to West German intelligence. The Bader meinhof group does a series of very unpopular actions. And then the state security gets a dramatically bigger budget. And, you know, next thing you know, they're able to do what they want to do. It sure seems like that happened here, basically, in the United States.
1: Yeah. It's like right after Ruby Ridge, right at the same time that PatCon documents are talking about investigating theft from military bases, that McVeigh tells like starts telling people like talking about it would be really easy to steal stuff from military bases (laughs) which you know i just found interesting um so all of a sudden he's talking about the very thing that is being investigated not just by petcom but by north star he's like in the building that's actually running an investigation into this very same thing i you know make of that what you will
2: <laughs> probably a coincidence i'm sure
1: right and look i'm not i'm not I'm so stupid like i know coincidences happen and i know you know but like there's a, a tipping point on which like there can only be so many coincidences that mm-hmm. happen before like kinda maybe gotta think of other explanations but you know that's just me he mcveigh <laughs> says he's leaving new york He's like i'm done and uh typically gives a couple different reasons one of which is like he's just bored but uh he, this is weird he like he's living at home like or you know in his hometown. he's in western new york but he he writes his friend steve his best friend a letter and he says this is like this is our last communication it's not because he does keep writing him but he he ends up telling him like if i'm locked up in the future you can bet i'm gonna be either labeled a schizophrenic or a white racist which is just a strange kind of thing to say so i don't know maybe he was planning on being either or both or he wasn't sure but like he says that like um in the simplest like explanation, McVeigh just bugs out and decides like I gotta go uh, like goes off on his bombing odyssey. But there's another version of this that, that McVeigh had had been talking about, and that's that during Ruby Ridge, um, he got the call saying, "Okay, you're going live. Like you gotta go, and uh, your job is going to be to infiltrate and make contact with." these groups and these people so we've been talking about this covert mission but it's it's at this very point at Ru- at the time of ruby ridge that he says he got the orders to like go and start making contact for you know doing what he'd been preparing for and waiting for you know up until this point mm. so
2: so he he travels all over the country, right?
1: Yeah, right. So <laughs> he goes, he's like, Texas, Tennessee, Utah, New Jersey, Arizona. Like, you know, he's everywhere. And he's he's on the gun show circuit. So he's going from gun show to gun show to gun show, um, selling guns, like living out of his car. Sometimes, so Sometimes he's like staying at friends' houses or at motels, you know, but he's going from gun show to gun show all over the country. Um, But he's not, it's not like he's like making a lot of money and and, and in effect, people will be like, yeah, he only had like, sometimes he just had like shit t-shirts and the Turner diaries, of course, (laughs) like what he's doing is making contact with like the most well-known like faces in the, in the Patriot and uh, white power movement. Um, the most well-known and also some of the more underground people. But it's just weird because he's like getting to know and making contact with the very same people that Pat Con is targeting.
2: Yeah, no, it's interesting because, and I forget exactly where this comes up in the narrative. I know it's sometime in this period. Like there's that story you tell where McVeigh, goes to, was it, like a Thanksgiving or Christmas dinner with one of his, like, army buddies?
1: Oh, yeah. It's, um, it's like, this family that he meets in, in Michigan, um, you know, this older woman and her children.
2: And, like, it's crazy, because, like, basically, he's going around getting more and more enmeshed in this world of, like, hate speech and, like, right-wing, like, ethno-nationalist terrorism. But, like, he basically like has this nice family dinner with this family and they can tell that like you know he's not you know they don't get a bad vibe off of him and they like realize that he's really lonely and really like just needs you know to be normal for a little bit like it's this interesting juxtaposition with like all the stuff he was doing otherwise right
1: it is and and they even like like they can tell like, he wants to stay and he's like I can't. And he's like you don't understand. I can't. Like it was it was like why don't you have a choice? Like why can't you you don't have like any obligations like why can't you just stick around? He's like I cannot. I have to do this. Like I have to go and yeah, they you know, he's they can tell he's sad. And I think that's legitimate. I think like for whatever reason like, you know, that wasn't an act. Mhm before one thing i forgot to do is like the the couple different stories that he ends up um telling people as to why he's even leaving because you know he is he does say like i'm going mm-hmm. to do work for the government so i'll just if you feel like putting this in so what i'm going to say is like people are saying like he's like i gotta go so hey bye i'm leaving buffalo i'm leaving new York. Like. I, And they're like, well, why? And so these are the variations of answers that he gives. He tells the guy he works for at CALSPAN. He's like, well, look, um, I got to go, but I'm just going to tell you that someday people are going to come looking for me. He says, perhaps even people from CALSPAN. He tells the same guy he's going to he has to he's going to go take a civilian job painting military vehicles he tells a handful of other people he's going to work um in a military related capacity um his attorneys at one point are like we need to make a list of all the people he said this to because this is like weird um so at his friend in new york or his friend that he made he made friends with the secretary and uh you know, she's like, why do you got to go? And he's almost, almost in tears. He's like, you don't understand. It's kind of like that same situation at that Christmas dinner. He's like, I have to, you don't understand. I have to go. Like, and so, yeah, not only does he like go and um, start making contacts with all these people, like, at this point he sends letters home and tells people i'm i'm being watched i'm being followed like i someone's keeping tabs on me um and he starts using a variety of aliases and and this is be, the way before the bomb plot is even a thing like he's he's mm-hmm. saying this this isn't oh i'm involved in a plot to bomb something i i better be careful he's saying this beforehand if he was covering up like, his tracks, he was doing it before there were even tracks to cover, as far as, like, the actual bombing itself.
2: You have just finished listening to an episode of Program to Chill, where I interviewed Wendy Painting. If you're listening to this, please consider donating to Wendy's Coffee. What is a coffee? Coffee. It's like a GoFundMe, but spelled differently. For the cost of a cup of coffee, or more if you're so inclined, you can help Wendy continue her research so we can get that second book out sooner. You can find that link in the show notes. Please support independent researchers like Wendy. And if you're listening to this on the free side, you can subscribe to my Patreon to hear these Wendy Painting interview episodes sooner than the weekly release date as well as a whole back catalog of interesting content to make your chores easier or to make your shitty job more tolerable. Guaranteed. Thank you. God bless. Sifting through my ashes Some will fall in love with life And drink it from a fountain That is pouring like an avalanche Coming down the mountain I don't mind the sun Sometimes the
3: images it shows I could